Amen. How are we doing, church? Hope you're doing well. You look great. Grab your Bibles, and we're going to be in 1 John for like the rest of your life, so turn to the, it's way towards the back of the Bible. Um, good luck finding it. Go. Uh, there's a Bible in front of you in the seat back. There's also maybe grab it on your device or however you need to, but as you're turning there, I've got one announcement. Um, get out your phone, go to the calendar section, invite yourself on my behalf uh, that on Friday, April the 24th, I think it's next Friday, at 7 p.m. at the Potter's House Church over on Normandy Boulevard. Um, they, they host these things called Unity Night, and on the 24th at 7 p.m., I'm preaching, and our, our worship team, Pastor Ben and some folks from our worship team, kind of in conjunction with their worship team, and there's like 83 people in it, and horns and dancers, it's going to be awesome, all right? I think Pastor Ben might dance, I think he'd better, okay, it'll be good, or he'll be the one guy standing there still, but anyway, come there that night, and, and it's, it's just awesome, um, uh, Bishop Vaughn McLaughlin is the, the, the pastor there, and before 1122 was anything, when we were just an idea, uh, their church came alongside us to help us out, and so they're inviting us to be a part of what they're doing on this unity night, and so please, I need you to be there, okay, so we need to all be there together, and uh, I hope you'll do that, and then the better part is, especially as compared to my preaching, after that, we'll all go to the Soul Food Bistro afterwards and uh, bless God with some fried chicken and gravy, okay, so... I think it's soul food. They put gravy on everything but ice cream. You need to be there. It'll be good. We'll have dinner together. So Friday, April 24, 7 p.m., be there for that. I'm excited. Um, today, I, I'm excited to, to, to walk through part two of this series in 1 John. This is a great day for you to be in church because we're going to talk about the main thing. And what I don't want to do, I see this happen all the time. You ever, you, ever, you ever been with somebody and they seem to miss the point of the whole thing? Like they see a movie and then you're talking to your wife after a movie and you go, I think you missed the point of the whole movie, right? Or the point of the joke or the point of whatever. Well, today we're going to talk about the point, the, the bottom line, the foundation of everything that is Christianity. And, and if you say, well, I don't want to be a Christian, I at, least you want, I at least want you to reject actual Christianity and not this kind of fake thing that you've heard about. So this is the main thing what we're going to talk about because it just frustrates me when people miss the point. But I can miss the point too. I remember one time I was vacuuming. It was a long, long time ago, many, many years ago. So I was vacuuming. And you know, the point of the vacuum is to get the stuff off the floor. That's just the point. And I was standing in our apartment, and I was vacuuming, and it was going well. And then I got to this thing, and I went over it, and it didn't come up. So, man, what do you do? You do it again, right? It's still there. So you think, oh, you got to go at a different angle. Maybe I'm not at the right angle. So I come at this angle, just... It's still there, so I do what every man does. I lean down, I pick it up, I look at it, and I put it back down. And right. Why? Because I missed the point that the vacuum gets. I had it off the floor. I should have thrown it away there, but no way would I do that. Some of you that go to the gym, you're missing the point. The point of exercise is to be in shape, right? Here, I've got a picture of a gym, and they missed the point. Totally and completely missed the point. The point, of the point of going to the gym is to exercise. The point of an escalator is not to exercise. Why would you ride a set of electronic stairs to pay to go climb stairs? You missed the point. And so what I hope you do today is that you get the point. And, 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 it, and if you've been a Christian for a minute and you think, oh, well, this isn't for me, you could not be more wrong. That you never graduate from the gospel. We're just going to unpack the gospel. And you never graduate from the gospel. Your life just kind of circles around the foot of the cross for the rest of your day. So may it be a good reminder for those of us that would say that we're already Christians. So 1 John, um, beginning in chapter 1, starting in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to unpack this message, the message of the gospel. And here's how it starts. That God is light and in him is no 
darkness at all. So in other words, God is perfectly perfect. That he, he is the creator, he is the author, he is the sustainer of everything that is life. He is perfectly merciful and gracious, but he's also perfect in his justice. He is almighty, he is holy, and in him there is no darkness at all. That sin cannot reside in the presence of an almighty and sovereign God. Not if he's perfect, and not if he's holy, and not if, not if he's just. But he is perfect. Every good thing has come from him. He is the source of all light. He is the source of anything good. The, the brother of, of Jesus, he says that every good and perfect gift comes from above. That's what it says in the book of James. You know what that means for you? That anything good that you've ever experienced was because God is light and he is the source of all good things. That means like after church today, if you go out to eat or tonight and, and, and you go, I don't know where you go, maybe go to Dick's Wings and you sit down and you order the redneck hot all right, because it's the best flavor they have, and you sit down and you eat it, and you think, oh my goodness, who had the idea to, mi to mix that heat and that sweetness and call it redneck all in one thing to God be all praise and glory for the, the fried chicken wing? You understand what I'm saying? Or if you order a sweet tea, all right, and like an Angie sweet tea, have you, seen, have you had that? And you, you get it and you think, hey, is diabetes worth it? Yes, yes, <laughs> it really is. And I'm not talking about a sweet tea where you iron sweetener later like Yankees do and it just floats to the bottom. That's why y'all's life won't work, okay? Like good old southern sweet tea where it's like sweet tea and you drink it and you'd be like, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Did you know God is the God of sweet tea, praise God? You understand that he is light and every good and perfect gift has come from above. He's the source of all good and no darkness is in him at all. That sin cannot, cannot be in the presence of God. He will not tolerate it. Because by his nature, he is good. And he will not put up with that bad. And so he is the author and the creator and the sustainer of all things. And in him there is no darkness. So that's the beginning. And then verse 6, it says, And if we say we have fellowship with him, which, by the way, I do. I say I have fellowship with him. I think a bunch of you in the room would be like, Oh, we say that. I have fellowship with him. But if we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, if you take your Bible seriously, like I do, you, read, you have to read a verse like this and go, uh-oh, we have a problem. Because I don't know about you, but I'm prone to wonder. Are you? I mean, I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to walk in darkness. I have a tendency to do my own thing. I have a tendency to, to do really bad stuff. And, and some of you here, it's at this point, you go, well, no, 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 I don't walk in darkness. I mean, you know, I'm not some kind of like part of a cult or worship the devil. I don't walk in darkness. I mean, compared to most people, I'm pretty good. That's what we like to do. We like to compare ourselves to the person on our right or the person on our left. Some of you are like, this guy sitting next to me, he's in darkness. But me, I'm pretty good. And God would say, compared to who? Compared to an almighty, perfect, and just God. No, no, no. You walk in darkness, and so do I. I got, I've got, I don't know if this might land on you good or bad. I don't care that you and I are a wretched, black-hearted sinner. By our very nature, that's what we are. And then you may even go be like, oh, well, well I'll go to Jesus for help. You better watch out. Because if you think you're going to run up to Jesus and, and, and he with a British accent is just going to pat you on the head and be like, oh, come here, give me a hug. It's not that bad. You're absolutely wrong. You know what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 48? He says this. He says, be perfect for I am perfect. And I don't think there's a brother in here that's claiming, you know what, I'm perfect. Your pretty goodness in comparison to a perfect God is wretchedness. 
Jesus' brother, his half-brother James, he says this in James chapter 2, verse 10. He says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. You get that? That means even if you've only sinned once in your whole entire life, that makes you a sinner. And, and some of you are like, whoa, 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 that's, that's kind of abrupt. Oh, it gets worse. All right, let's do this. Let's go through the Ten Commandments. You want to see what a bunch of sinners we are? Check this out. How about the first one? Have you ever worshipped anything other than God? We can't make it past one. You get it? Second one, you ever had an idol? Liar, you're driving it. Third one, uh, don't use the Lord's name in vain. If you've ever been on JTB at 5 o'clock, failure. Four, obey the Sabbath and keep it holy. Who does that? That's Chick-fil-A, Hobby Lobby, not the rest of us, right? Fifth one, obey your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. If you've ever been a teenager, sinner. Sixth one, don't murder. That's the one where we step in and we're like, boom, got it. Got it. I've never killed anyone. And then this is where Jesus jacks you up. He comes in and says, you've heard it say, thou shalt not murder. But I say to you, if you've ever hated your brother in your heart, and you're like, all right, just go ahead to the next one. <laughs> Seventh one, don't commit adultery. You're like, whoa, I've never cheated on my wife. Jesus comes in and said, you've heard it say, um, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, if you've ever lusted after another woman, oh, next go. Uh, uh, don't steal. Don't steal. And you're like, I don't steal. My computer says it's sharing. <laughs> Jesus says it's stealing. <laughs> all right? The next one it, Commandments, don't lie, thou shalt not lie. And you're like, I'm not a liar. You're a liar. You're lying right now about not being a liar, you liar. Tenth one, don't covet. Like, what does that mean? Want stuff that's not yours. If you've ever watched HGTV, you're done. If you ever pulled into a, a, a car lot to buy a car that you didn't need, I'm telling you, we go through that and, and hopefully you see that and go, uh-oh, we, we might have a problem. So, so you're saying God is light, yeah. No darkness, no darkness can reside with him, right? And I have a propensity, a tendency to want to walk in darkness. Verse 7. Now, if it ended there, it'd be super bummer. I, I, wouldn't, I tell you, don't come back here. But it doesn't. Look at verse 7. It keeps going. But if we walk in light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, let me, let me give you a little something to do when you're reading your Bible. Always let the Bible be commentary unto itself. Before you trust what I say, see what the Word says. So there was a guy that wrote 1 John, and his name was? See, you're spiritual. And he also wrote another book, and he called it John. So he's really into himself, right? I'm going to name a book and name it after me, okay? And so in first in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3, he records this conversation that Jesus has with this guy named Nicodemus. And, and it starts out with a very familiar verse, all right? If you've been in church a while or you're a Tebow fan, you've heard this verse. Here it goes. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. Here's the light and dark talk that he's going to talk about here. And this is the judgment. The light, talking about Jesus. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes into the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So what does that mean? Here's what it means to walk in darkness. To walk in darkness means, God, I don't need you. I've got this. That's what it means. To walk in darkness says, God, I don't need you. To walk in darkness is, and, and I don't think you would actually say this with your mouth. You just, we just have a tendency to say it in the way we live. That I, I'm smarter than God. 
That I, I'm smarter than the creator of the universe. I know this book tells me how to live and how, well, how, to, how to do money and, 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 and how to do sex and sexuality and what, how I'm supposed to treat each other. But I don't need this. I can do it on my own. And it's like walking in darkness. Or some of us, what we say is, God, I don't need you as a savior because I can obey the rules better than everybody else. And so what we have a tendency to do in darkness, because we, we think darkness, we think of like the occult. But really, really to walk in darkness is either to lean towards um, licentiousness, like I'll do whatever I want and I'm the boss of me, or to, to lean towards legalism and say, hey, I can keep the rules, therefore I don't need a savior because I've got this. And both of them, both of them are to walk around in the darkness. And here's the thing. When you walk around in the darkness, when you say, I got this, I'm in control, I don't need a savior, I'm telling you, there's no way to not mess everything up. There's no way to not walk around in the darkness and, and not consistently stumble and fall and walk around with stubbed toes and bloody knees. Have you ever, occasionally this happens, I'll go to bed before Gretchen goes to bed, and I'll be in our bedroom, and the lights have been out, and like my eyes have adjusted, but her eyes have not adjusted yet, right? You ever do this? And, and so she walks in, and she, it's darkness to her, but I can kind of see a little bit. Have you ever seen somebody walking around like that? And they look ridiculous, don't they? They're like reaching for stuff, and it's not there, and I'm giggling. And they look like they're in the shallow end of the pool with no water in it. You know, they're just kind of doing this weird kind of walk. And they can't see what they're about to bump into, and they can't see that they're about to stump their toe. Why? Because they can't see. And so if I were to yell out, try harder, what do they do? I can't. It's dark. That's why the try harder sermons just don't work. That's why the message of the gospel is not, God is good, you're a bad, try harder, see you next week. Because when you do that, when you walk in control of your own life, I'm telling you, you can only make a mess of things because you walk in the darkness. And the reason some of you are running from the light is because it can be painful and abrupt at first. You ever been to a matinee? You go into the movie, like, Two o'clock in the afternoon because it's cheaper. And you go in and it's dark, 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 dark in the movie. And I don't know about you, but I kind of lose sense of time. And then I don't like to walk out back through the lobby. I like to go through the, maybe it's a fire door, but I don't care. I like to go through that door. And it just opens up from the dark movie theater into the parking lot. You ever do this? It's four o'clock and you open the door and it's just bright sun. The couple days it still has sunshine here in Florida anymore. But you know what I'm saying. Bright sun and it hits you. And what do you do? I mean, it's painful in your eyes, and you have a tendency to want to run back into the darkness, right, where it's comfortable. That's what he's saying. And I don't know about you, but when God illuminates things in my life, it's never been on a dimmer. He's never just kind of eased me into it. It's mostly like I'm stumbling around and banging my knees, and then, boom, the light comes on. That's why I want to encourage you. If you've been the Lord of your own life, if you've been the boss of you, you might feel even a little... Um, it, it might be a little intense for you today. I, I encourage you not to go running back into the darkness. But, like he says, to walk in the light as he is in the light and, and have fellowship with one another. And you might say, well, how do we do that? If it's not try harder, if it's not just me see better because I can't see because it's dark, then what do I do? Well, the answer is right there when he says, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It goes on in verse 8 and says this, and if... If we say that we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So, I'm telling you, up to this point in the text, it's very damning, is it not? That God is perfect, that God is holy, that God is light. And in Him is no darkness. And guess what? Those who walk in darkness do not walk with Him. And if you say that you have no sin, then you deceive yourselves and you're a liar. The truth is not in you. And at this point, you go, uh-oh. But let me tell you this. 
This is a very hopeful verse for me. You know why? How many of you out there have a sin problem? Anybody got a sin problem? Anybody? None of you in the back? Awesome. Okay, great. That's why you were late. Cool. Uh, but the rest of us, sin problem. You, you, you still struggle with sin? Because here's what I'm going to tell you. Me too. Me too. And the, and the good news of the gospel is not as soon as you clean yourself up and get your act together, then you walk in the light. That's not the point at all. That's why he says, all right, there's light and there's darkness, and it's one or the other. And if you say you have no sin, then you deceive yourself. I'm telling you. The church of 1122 will never be a place where you have to pretend. And it will never be a place where you have to perform. And the day this is a place where you have to pretend, I'm shutting down the doors. Because if, if you've got to pretend here, then we don't actually believe the gospel. We don't actually believe that God saved us on the cross. So you've got some struggles and junk in your life? Me too. And I don't mind going first. I've shared a bunch of them with you. And the reason I do is so that you know that you don't have to fake it here. I mean, I told you, a few years ago, I don't know, six, seven, eight years ago or something... Not like 20 years ago in another town, like a few years ago here in our town, Gretchen and I were at a bar because this, this Christian band that also plays on the radio were playing. It was down at Jack's Beach. And so, so, so they had Christian songs, but they also had regular radio songs. So there's this weird mix of people. They were like youth groups and drunk people all together. And that's not a good mix, okay? And so there I am, and, and Gretchen's there, and this dude, this drunk guy, bumps into my wife and calls her a name that rhymes with itch. <laughs> yeah. And I lost my mind, and I tried to squeeze his head off his body. That's what I tried to do. Off. And some of you are like, oh, pastor. Oh, it's worse than you think. I'm telling you. The Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. I'm pretty sure squeezing God's head off, that's a sin, okay? It is. And then I just, yeah, all right? And you're like, really? Really? That's me. Follow me. I'm the leader, okay? <laughs> or I told you... Um, Probably the worst thing I've ever done in our marriage. Gretchen and I were fighting on JTB, which that, that's part of the... I, I can't stand that place. All right, and so, and I'm all worked up, and I look at her, and I'm, I'm... You should never, ever, 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 ever do this. This is horrible. I repent. But I looked at her, and I said, I'm driving my truck. I said, I can't take this anymore. And I punched the steering wheel right in the horn. Boom. And the horn just went, meh, and got stuck. And it was God just going, sinner. She laughed, y'all laughed, made it worse. Then everybody I pulled up to was like, why are you honking at me? And I'm like, get out of the car. I'm talking about losing my mind. You got issues? Me too. Or you remember last year when I told you that guy stole my bow out of the back of my truck here? All right. I can forget the gospel in one second. In one second. So when that dude stole my bow, you know what I did? I stood up here and I preached about it. I used it as a sermon illustration and here's why. We got a bunch of cops that go to our church, okay? Because we honor them and we respect them and we know they catch bad guys, okay? And so, and I know, like I saw Officer Williams back there just a minute ago and we've got undercover guys and off-duty guys and so I preached a sermon about it knowing that they would all get to it and they did. An off-duty cop went and got after it and called the guy. And so when they caught him, one of my staff people, this girl, you know, she loves Jesus. She's 20-something and just full of grace. And she comes to me, and she's like, are you going to share the gospel with him? I said, our prison ministry might. All right, Kairos, you want to? Go check them out in the lobby. They're our partner this month. But, but I'm not thinking of Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. No, no, no. I'm finding most of my verses to quote from the Old Testament, all right? Words about smite and stuff like that. You understand? And listen, and how about this? And you think I'm jacked up? This is just the stuff I'm okay saying publicly. <laughs> yeah. 
So you think, man, he's got issues. So do you. So it's, isn't it? It really is. It's worse than you think, isn't it? That's why the Church of 1122 is a movement for all people. All people. So if you think you're perfect, mm, I got good news. God can still save you too. It's going to be harder, but he could still save you too. But if you think you're jacked up, if you think you've got issues, then you come to the right place because that's why Jesus died on the cross. Okay? It's why he died on the cross. It's why I tell you all the time, it's okay to not be okay. That God doesn't love some future version of you once you've got your act together. And that he's not disappointed in you. You know why he's not disappointed in you? Because to be disappointed with somebody, you have to have unmet expectations. You have to be surprised a little bit. Disappointment comes when, when you expect one thing, you experience something else, and you're disappointed in that gap in between. God has never been disappointed in you because he knew exactly what you were going to do, and he chose to love you anyway. Listen, Gretchen and I are looking for a car right now, you know, like new to us but used. And so what we have to do, because we're buying a used car, we have to run a Carfax on it to see if it's, it, it, does it just look good on the outside, but it's really jacked up on the inside. Guess what? God ran the Carfax on you, and guess what he got back? Lemon, 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 lemon. Accident, accident, accident. Never kept your oil changed. Always ran it up into the ground. It's a, it's a lemon. It's a wreck. It's a piece of junk. That's what he gets. And then you know what he does? He goes, I'll pay full price. And I'll redeem it. And I'll restore it. And I will make it as new. That's the gospel. So when he says, if we say we, say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. He doesn't end there. It goes to verse 9. And then he says... And if we confess our sins. See, that's where it starts. That you and I, we're not mistakers in need of a life coach. You didn't just make bad decisions. You didn't just have a, a, not enough information. It wasn't just a season. But the heart of the problem is a problem with our heart. And the problem is not our sins. The problem is that we are sinners. And there's a difference. You see, the sun's back out. It's springtime. Our weeds and grass are growing now again. And all, those of you that, that mow your lawn, you know you can have weeds all over your yard. And if you just mow over the top of them, your yard looks awesome for many hours, does it not? But what happens? It rains every 30 minutes and then poof, here come the weeds again. And that outside in religion, that's all it is. It's mowing over the weeds. But the gospel, the gospel is getting down to the root of the problem. And the root of the problem, it is you and me at the core of who we are. And the gospel pierces us to our core to change us, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And so, if you begin to understand, okay, God's light and I'm walking in darkness and those two things don't work together, that the problem is here is not that I make mistakes, but that I, at the core of who I am, I'm a sinner. Then we can say, if we confess our sins, okay, okay I get it, I get it. I've been, the, I've been the God of my own life. I've sat on the throne of my own heart. I get it, I'm a sinner. If we confess our sins then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Theologians would call that substitutionary atonement. That you and I, that you and I, because we have sinned against an almighty, infinite God, that, that it requires an everlasting punishment. And I know a lot, of, a lot of us think, well, why doesn't he just forgive us? Why didn't he just say, you know, I'll skate, don't worry about it, come here, give me a hug, you didn't mean to, come on in. No, because to do that would mean he's not holy and he's not just. That he just changes his mind based on his emotion. But God is perfectly holy, perfectly just, that he is light and in him is no darkness at all. And the reason that you and I can just forgive people is because we're a bunch of sinful people. 
So we can overlook injustice because we are not perfectly just, but not God. And so what God decided to do is he sent his son to live a perfect life, to die a death that we deserved on the cross. And when he died that death, then he received the punishment that we deserved because of our sin. That's why it says, if we confess our sin, that he is faithful and just. And when he, for, when he forgives our sin, when he punishes Jesus on the cross, that means if you surrender your life to the lordship of Christ, then he's not going to punish you for your sin. Because that would be unjust to punish both Jesus and you. But he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means everything you've ever done, everything you ever will do, those things that you promised to him and to you and to your spouse that you would never do again, that when Christ died on the cross, if you surrender your life to him, that that's been paid for too. That he pays a debt that you and I could not pay. And they were not just mistakes. See, it reminds me of my, little, my younger brother. I guess he's not little, he's a grown man now. But my younger brother, when he was in first grade, got his first BB gun, a little Red Rider shoot your eye out BB gun, okay? Because I'm from Dillon, and when you go to elementary school, they equip you with a firearm, all right? That's just how we did and so he had that thing about three days, and our neighbor comes over to our house just furious, just screaming and yelling, and my dad comes out there to see what's going on. And he says, your boy shot out seven windows in my house. Right? Now, as a first grader, my, my younger brother, he had no idea the severity of his sin. He didn't realize what it would cost and what my dad would have to go through to replace this guy's windows. And look, this is Dylan. We didn't have window people, right? My dad had to go to Walmart where he could get everything and go back. And he personally had to install these new windows in our neighbor's house. And my dad paid a debt that my younger brother had incurred that my younger brother could not pay for. But when my dad goes to my brother and says, Russ, why didn't you tell me if you accidentally shot out a window? My brother said, because I was aiming right at him. <laughs> It's just real. See, that's it. It's not like we accidentally sin. We willfully rebel against an almighty God. By the way, you know what my brother does now? SWAT team, St. John's County, all right? He learned early. <clears throat> now, here's the problem. A lot of times as evangelicals, we think that's where the gospel ends, that God forgives our sin, but from that day on, we better do better. We better try harder. We better act right to make sure we stay saved. That's not the gospel. That's a very incomplete view of the gospel because not only does he forgive us of our sins, but he also cleanses us from all unrighteousness. God is doing the cleansing here. You cannot clean yourself up. There has to be a cleansing from outside of you. Paul would say in Romans, there has to be a righteousness that, that is apart from you. That you are, you are the passive agent here, that God's doing the forgiving and God's doing the cleansing. Theologians would call this double imputation. That our sins are imputed to Christ on the cross and his righteousness, his perfection, his blamelessness, all of that is imputed or, or credited to us. You see, most, most people, I mean most good, especially southern church people, you have a very limited view of the gospel. You think the gospel is just about forgiveness. It's not. Not only is it about forgiveness, but it's also imputed righteousness. That means when God looks at you, he sees perfection. He sees his son. He sees holiness. He sees, he sees a blame-free life. And you go, yeah, but I'm a sinner. Not anymore. Not if you surrender your life to the lordship of Christ. That God made him who was without sin to be sin for us, that we would be made his righteousness. So it would be like this. A lot of us think of the gospel this way. Like you got a bunch of debt. 
a bunch of debt. You're about to go under. You can't pay your mortgage. You can't pay your bills. You look at your debt ledger, and it's millions upon millions upon millions, and you think, if I work the rest of my life, I can't pay this off. And so you were to go to the bank president with all of your debt and say, look, I am really sorry. This is all my fault. I'm sorry. And if he were to just write cancel and cancel your debt as the bank president and forgive all of your debts, that's where a lot of people think the gospel is. Here's the problem with that. Here's why it's an incomplete view. Because if that were to happen, would you be grateful? Sure you would. Did you deserve it? No, it's gracious. But you would want to walk out from that bank and from that day forward, guess what? You're broke. And at that point, you've got to get to work. That's not the gospel. Because you think, I've got to earn something from here on out. And some of you think, I may be forgiven of God, but from this day forward, I've got to get to work to make sure I stay good with God. That's not what this verse means. You see, in this banking analogy, it would be that you take your debt, you, you, you take that millions and millions that you can't pay, you go to the bank president, you say, it's my fault, I'm sorry, and he writes forgiven on your debt ledger, but on your way out the door, he goes, and here, here's a debit card, and you have access to all of the money that's housed here in this bank. That you don't have to work for it to earn it anymore. It's already been done and credited to your account. You have all that is here, and that's what this verse means. That not only are we forgiven, it's not just canceled debt, but, but we also are given everything that Christ earned for us on our behalf. You see, it's like if, if you broke the law, just imagine that, 1122, all right, if you broke the law and you got arrested and you were guilty and you went before the judge and you didn't even have, you, there's no reason to plead, you're like, yeah, you got me. But the judge slams down the gavel and says, innocent. But he doesn't say, now, good luck, do better. He says, change your clothes, take off the orange jumpsuit, take off the shackles, take off the handcuffs, you're coming to my house. You're going to wear my clothes, you're going to eat my food, I'm going to adopt you, you're going to take my last name. Not only am I forgiving you, but I'm adopting you into my family. I'm going to pay for your college, I'm going to take care of you, you're a part of my family now. You see, that's the gospel. He says, if we confess our sins then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, if I could be honest about the Bible, sometimes I just wish it would just stop. But it keeps going. Because if it just stops here, isn't that a great message? I mean, you'd get out 20 minutes earlier and it just makes you feel better, right? It's like, I used to be jacked up, then I met Jesus, now I'm clean and awesome. But then he messes it all up with verse 10. And he says, and if we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I don't know about you, but is that your story? Did you just need the cross one time in your life? And now you've just moved away from it? I mean, is it just you and Jesus just skipping along with a rainbow? That's not the gospel. That's Skittles. You understand? That is. Taste the rainbow or whatever. See, here's why I can trust the scriptures. Because it understands it understands the reality that I, even though I've surrendered my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, even though I'm, I am washed in the blood of the Lamb, even though I am clean and blameless before God, there's, this, there's still this thing called sanctification. That the gospel is not just about justification, making you a Christian and cleaning you up. It's also about sanctification. That on a daily basis, it's the gospel that helps me walk and walk and walk in Him. Because when I do stumble and fall in sin, and I understand that he's a good dad that loves his kids, I don't have to run and hide in the darkness, but in the light I can run to him because he's forgiven me in his son Jesus Christ. And he's called me to live a life worthy of the gospel. You see, the truth is, is that walking in the light or walking in the dark, it's not so much about what you've done. It's about what you do with what you've done. 
Because the truth is that none of us are done. So this idea of sanctification or maturing in your faith, where it starts is this, is that you're not there yet. That's why I tell you, God doesn't love some future version of you. And some of us can love Jesus and believe all the right things and surrendered our life to him. But when we stumble and when we fall and when we sin, instead of actually believing that we needed a Savior on the cross, like Adam and Eve, we run and hide and start sewing fig leaves together and try to cover it up as if God doesn't see where we're going. So here's what it looks like to walk in the darkness. That means that, that when we do this, we lack a vital daily intimacy with God. That we're anxious about friends and money and school and grades. That we feel as if nobody cares. That we live on a success-fail basis. That we need to look good to impress other people. That we feel guilty and condemned. That we struggle to trust things to God. That, that we think that we have to fix our own problems. We're not very teachable. We're defensive when we're accused of error or weakness. We need to be right. Describe any of you, man, that's me, it sounds like my resume, that we need to be right, that we lack confidence, we feel discouraged and defeated, that we're strong-willed with ideas and agendas and opinions, that when we fail, our solution is this, try harder. You know what that is? That's stumbling around in the darkness. That's living like an orphan instead of a son or a daughter of a God as a dad that loves you. But when we walk in the light, here's how it's characterized, that we feel free from worry because God loves you that we learn to live in daily partnership with God, that we're not fearful of God, that we feel forgiven and totally accepted, that we trust God daily in his sovereign plan for our life, that prayer is a first resort. We don't throw up Hail Marys, but we go to God first in prayer, that we're content in relationships because we know that we're accepted first by God, that we have freedom from making a name for yourself, that we're teachable by others, that we're open to criticism because we rest in Christ's perfection, not our own self-perfection, that we're able to examine our deeper motives, we're able to take risk and even fail because we understand that failure is an event, failure is not a person, that we're encouraged by the Spirit working in us, that we're able to see God's goodness even in dark times, we're content with what Christ has provided, we trust less in ourselves and more in the Holy Spirit, we're aware of our inability to fix life, to fix people, to fix problems, we don't always have to be right, we don't gain value from what other people think about us, that we that we understand that God truly satisfies our soul. Does that describe anybody? Here's fundamentally how you can tell right now if you're walking in the dark or walking in the light. If you think of God's face, now I know John 4 tells us that God is spirit, he's not flesh like we are, but if you think of the face of God looking at you, what does his face look like? Because you know what most of us have found, and, and typically the longer you've been in church, the worse it is, you know what most of us think God looks, his face looks like when he looks at us? I think most of us think God looks at us like, really? Like, like he's kind of, he's, he's kind of got this low-grade frustration with us always. Now, he has to love us because of everything that Jesus did. But right now, he looks at us like, are you even being serious? And you know why we think that? Because that's the way we feel about most people in our lives. I mean, don't you? Maybe you don't. Maybe you're awesome, but I'm not, okay? Most of the time, I feel like I'm just kind of, like, I wanted people to do this, and they didn't do it, and I'm like, really, again? Especially, like, when it comes to my kids. You ever feel this way about your kids? Yesterday, play a baseball game. We get crushed. It's not good. I'm already mad, and then my kid wants to hang out with a bunch of other little 11, 22 baseball kids. I'm like, yeah, no problem, but right before JP goes, I go, now, listen, no problem, all right? But here's what you got to do. When I come to pick you up, you need to have your baseball stuff together because you got all-stars today. You got it? Got it. Yes, sir. No problem. No problem. Sure? High five. Good. Go. 
And then I go to pick him up in the pouring down rain. I go, you got all your stuff? I sure do. And he just comes out with pants. Just pants. Where's your belt? We still don't know where the belt is. How do you lose a uh, Anyway, why would you take the belt out of your belt? I don't know. Jersey, where's your jersey? Oh, yeah. Where's your hat? Oh, yeah. Where are your socks? Oh, yeah. Where are your cleats? They're in the yard. It's been raining for two hours. And so I can feel my face be like, really? And I think that's how we think God looks at us because most of us are like that nine-year-old kid and we've got some good intentions. We really want to do it right. We just can't quite pull it off, right? And a big part of what a lot of times we don't understand is that God never looks at you with this face of discontent. Like, are you kidding me again? That he's a good dad. He's a good dad. And when he sees you, even when you can't find your baseball uniform and you got one sock and, you know, those kinds of things, even when we tried to do good and we did bad or when we just planned bad. Sometimes we plan evil, don't you? You've saved money and planned a vacation for evil. We have, and God still can look at you, and he delights over his children because he sees you as holy and blameless and righteous because of what Christ did for you. That's what the face of God is towards you. And when you begin to see that, when you begin to see that, that's when you begin to understand what it means to walk in the light. That when you stumble and when you fall, because that's what we do until the day that we are perfected, then you can get up and you can run to the arms of a heavenly father that's not there to condemn you, but is there to say, come here, I have forgiven you. That's why I sent my son to die on the cross. And some of you may be saying, okay, okay, look, all right, I get it. I want to do that. I want to go from darkness to light. I want to go from being Lord of my own life to having Jesus be Lord of my life. I want to be forgiven, but not just forgiven. I want to be cleansed. I want to be set free. I want something different for all eternity. And you may ask, well, how do I do that? Look, I put it in your notes. Would you grab your notes and get them out and look? Because I, I, I wrote it this way because... I want it to be, it's not necessarily easy to be a Christian. I mean, it costs you your whole life, but it's very, very simple. And I put it as an ABC because I want you to be able to understand it. That it starts with this, just like, just like uh, 1 John 1, 9 says, that if we will confess our sins, so it starts with, with A. It's as easy as ABC, all right? It starts with an A, that you admit that you're a sinner. That you're not just a mistaker in need of a life coach, but you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And not that you just got to do better or try harder because that won't work. You see, in 1 John 1, 9, God does the cleansing. You are the passive agent here. And so you admit, okay, God, I have jacked this thing up. I have made a mess of my life because I've been walking around in darkness. And you admit that you're a sinner. In Romans, the book of Romans says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means every single one of us ought to be able to admit, I'm a sinner. And then the B is this, is to believe, is to believe. Now, the problem is, the word believe in English isn't powerful enough to represent what it means in Greek. In Greek, it's pastuo. It means to believe, to trust, to commit your whole life into. Like, you can't just kind of believe a little bit. And it also doesn't mean believe that. You know what I mean? I've told you this before. Like, I believe that there's a football team down in Gainesville that has blue and orange, but I don't believe in them at all. You know what I mean? See the difference? So I believe that they're there, but I don't believe in And so... You admit that you're a sinner, and then the B is this, that you believe that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, it counted for you. I, I keep running into people that think that it didn't count for you. You could, you could think, well, it counted, for, it counted for me, the preacher, but it didn't count for you. But listen, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, it counted for you. 
no matter what you've done, no matter what you will do, no matter how many promises you've made that you've broken, when Jesus said, it is finished, that counted for you. That, that the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 8 says, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet still sinners, that Christ died for us. That he knew everything that you have done, that you are doing, and that you will do, and he died for you. That means when he died on the cross, it counted for you. And this may be, this could revolutionize your whole life, your whole Christian walk. And if you believe that, if you surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ, then guess what? Your past no longer gets to define you. Your sin no longer gets to define you. Your job doesn't get to define you. Your marital status doesn't get to define you. Your mistakes don't get to define you. Your orientation doesn't define you. Your criminal record does not define you. Your sexual past does not define you. The struggles that you have do not define you. Your addiction does not define you. But if you believe in Jesus and you understand that when he died on the cross, it counted for you, then only Jesus gets to tell you who you are. And he says that you're his. And because you're his, you're holy and you're blameless and you're righteous. Amen? Amen. And <laughs> nothing like spattering applause to the gospel, okay? And you know why you do that? Because you don't really believe it. You want to. You want to. Like in your head, you're like, uh, I don't know. I think I'm kind of crappy. No. You're like, uh, I feel like I'm those things. But in Christ, you're not. That when he died on the cross, it counted for you. So you admit that you're a sinner. You believe that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, and he said, it's finished, that your debt was paid fully and finally. And then the C is this, that you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, the Bible says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, and you confess with your mouth that God raised him for the dead, that you will be saved. And that's essentially just saying, okay, I'm not the boss of me anymore. God, I give up. Critics of Christianity have often said that Christianity is a crutch. No, it's a stretcher. Dead people can't walk. You understand? It is not like, because we're on a crutch, it's a little bit of me and a little bit of crutch. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, no, I am flat, dead, and Christ, in his goodness and infinite mercy, picks me up on the stretcher and carries me into new life. That he is Lord of all. And that you surrender your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's A, B, C. And I think one of the best places that this is exemplified in the scripture is in Luke chapter 23. It's the end of Jesus' ministry. He's already been tried. He, he's already been beaten. And they're taking him to the cross to be crucified. And in Luke chapter 23, verses 32 and following, it says, And two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with Jesus. And when they came to the place that's called the skull, they, the two criminals, were cruci or they crucified Jesus. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Here's the reality. Every single one of us is one of these two criminals. That we all stand condemned before God. That we're all guilty. And you might say, well, no, I'm not. But they, they can't do anything about it at this point. They're hanging from crosses with Jesus in the middle and one criminal on one side and another on the other. And then in verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Then save yourself and us. This brother is walking in darkness. That's what he's doing. You know what he's saying? Hey, listen, I'm Lord of my life and I need you to work for me. Look, there's a lot of religious people in the South that do this. Walk into church and be like, all right, God, if you really are God, then get me out of this mess I've made in my life. And when you do that, you're walking in darkness, you're stumbling around telling God how he needs to serve you. And so he dies apart from the Almighty God. And then there's another guy that's just as guilty, that's just as bad, 
that's just as big of a sinner, that has the same life sentence against him. And here's what he says in verse 40. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. You know what he just did? He admitted that he's a sinner. He said, I've jacked up my life, and I'm on this cross, and I deserve it. He admits it. And then he goes on to say, but this man has done nothing wrong. You know what he's doing? He is believing the best he could in that moment that this was an innocent man dying for something that he did not do. And apparently he believes it counts for him because he goes on to say, and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He's confessing him. He's going, look, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm submitting myself under your, lead, your lordship. And, and then Jesus responds. Jesus responds. And here's how we know that we're saved by grace through faith and not by works. Because Jesus does not say, okay, I'll save you, but you've got to get baptized. That's what you've got to do. It's going to be hard, okay, to get that whole cross, like all the way down in the water and then back up here. And he doesn't say you've got to join the church. Because what's that guy going to do? He doesn't get to go to a disciple group any for the rest of his life. And that guy on the cross, this other thief that's admitted that he's a sinner and is believing in Jesus and is confessing Jesus as Lord, he also can't make any promises. What's he going to say? Okay, Jesus, from now on, I'm going to stop. No, you can't do anything, bro. You're going to hang there and you're going to die. And he says to him, truly, I say to you, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. Why? Because he went from darkness to light. He confessed his sin. And Jesus was faithful and just to forgive him his sin and cleanse him from all unrighteousness, even though he had nothing to offer. He couldn't go on a mission trip. He couldn't give money. He couldn't support anything. All he could do was offer up himself. And in that moment, he admits, I'm a sinner. And he believed when Jesus died on the cross, it counted for him, and it can count for you too. And he confesses Jesus as Lord, and Jesus promises, brother, you're going to heaven. So how about you? How about you? Listen, if you're already a Christian, you just need to be reminded of the gospel. That when you stumble and when you fall, that you go running to him, because he's a good dad that loves you, and he sees you as a perfect son because of what Christ did on the cross. That you don't have to behave so that he will accept you. He accepted you in Christ. Therefore, you just act like a, a son or a daughter of God, not an orphan. But for some of you, maybe for the very first time, you can see that the lights have come on. And you realize that you haven't done anything so bad that he can't save you. That the cross of Jesus is bigger than anything you've ever done. And you've not, you've not been so good that you don't need to be saved. Because this is an inside-out thing, not an outside-in thing. And today could be the day that you admit, okay, I get it, I'm a sinner. And you believe when Jesus died on the cross, that counted for me. When he said it's finished, it was finished for me. And today could be the day that you say, all right, you're my God. I'm not the God of my life anymore. I want to confess Jesus as my Lord. Would you please bow your head, close your eyes. Again, if you're already a Christian, would you just reflect on the reality of the gospel? Just be reminded of the gospel once again. That even this week, if you stumble and if you fall, then it's the gospel. It's your father that picks you up and dusts you off and loves you anyway. But if today you're saying for the very first time you're ready to admit that you're a sinner, that you believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he counted for you, and today's the day you want to confess him as Lord, just, just tell him that. There's no magic prayer. There's no incantation. I don't have some kind of wand or anything like that. You don't have to repeat after me. You just say it to your father who hears you. And if that's you, if you're admitting that you're a sinner, you're believing in Jesus and you're confessing him as Lord, would you raise your hand and say, God, here I am. God, I surrender my life to you. I put my hope, my faith, my trust in you. God, I understand that right now, not only do you forgive me, but you cleanse me from everything.
Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for the men and the women that have surrendered their lives to you, God, that have raised their hand and say, God, here I am, I surrender to you. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do a supernatural work in this place, that every single one of us would know the point, that even the people in this room that would say, nah, I don't have anything to do with it, God, may they at least reject what really is Christianity, what it actually means to be a follower of you. But God, I pray that scales would fall off of eyes in this place. God, I pray that hearts would soften. God, that you would pull out hearts of stone and put in hearts of flesh that beat for you. And God, I pray that this day there would be many that would hear the voice of their heavenly Father saying, good news, good news. One day you will be with me in paradise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, would you please stand? We respond to the gospel every week. That's what worship is. Worship is our response to God, for who he is and what he's done. And here's the thing, we're going to sing together. We're going to join our voices together. And essentially, we're saying, God, thank you, thank you, thank you for saving us. For some of you that just got some junk going on in your life, you need to come down on the altar and you need to cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. It's just a picture of the gospel when we come before him and say, God, I need you again. And then if you're a regular here at the Church of 1122, this is the time that we bring our tithes and offerings. You do it in the giving boxes around here. You can do it electronically on your app or the giving kiosk. But we bring our first and best, our tithes and offerings, because he first loved us by giving us his best in Jesus. Let us respond.